Thanks for listening to a YPC podcast. We believe God wants to do so much for you and through you, and we'd love to hear about it. Take a second to send your story to office at ypcprior.com and enjoy the message today. Okay, guys, so I've actually never been timed before whenever I preach, which is just like kind of a weird new thing for us. So we're just going to hop right into the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And this is Paul talking to the church of Ephesus, but I want you to listen to it like he's talking to the church of Mays County. Like he's talking directly to you. Like, he, like these, these words are meant, these words were written for us to hear them. It says, in light of all of this, oh, I'm also reading out of the message version. People are like, that's paraphrased. And I'm like, I like the way they paraphrased it. So that's what I'm going to read. In light of all of this, here's what I want you to do. While I'm locked up here, a prisoner for the master, I want you to get out there and walk. Better yet, run on the road God called you to travel. I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want anyone strolling off down some path that goes nowhere. I don't want anything that I say today to come off as harsh. What I want it to come off as is urgent. Because we're talking about freedom. That's what all of us were told to speak on today was freedom. But I think that some of us might need to find freedom from things that we don't want to be set free from. I think that we need to find freedom from things that we might actually enjoy a little bit, things that we know are wrong, but we just don't quite want to let them go. And I know that um, I enjoy sarcasm a whole lot, right? I really like to be sarcastic. I like some witty responses, you know? I just feel like there is life and wittiness, but there are some people who um, don't appreciate my wittiness as much as I do. They just don't quite appreciate the sarcasm in the moment that I use the sarcasm. And you know, in Proverbs it says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Um, You see, I just kind of breeze past that one whenever I read it, especially whenever I'm talking to my husband, Sam. And so the other day, um, he's picking up a trailer from my grandparents' house, and it's parked all the way in the back. This is the first time that he's picked it up, and so he calls me, and he's like, hey, it's parked all the way in the back. Do I just drive back there and get it? And of course, the only response that I can think of, the only thing that comes to my mind is, well, it's not going to come to you. (laughs) He just didn't really like that response. You know, he just wasn't a big fan of it, which I still to this day think that I was not in the wrong for that response. That was a good response, and he did not give me the laughter that I so rightfully deserved. But in, in different circumstances, you know, the, the sarcasm can turn cynical. You know, in different, whenever I've been talking to my parents, especially in high school, we'll pretend that it ended in high school, but, you know, there's still things that I'm, um, there's still some things that I'm walking through, you know. Um, the words that I say back to them, however sarcastic and witty they are, they don't honor them. And honoring my father and mother is the first commandment with a promise. And the words that I say back to my now husband don't respect him sometimes. And this trait, I'm like, my sass, it's a part of me. It's not something that I want to give up, you know? There's some things that we are bound to that we aren't quite ready to give up. I think many people, if they'll admit it or not, if they'll keep it in the dark or if they'll bring it into light, they are bound by sexual sin. They are bound by pornography. They are bound by drugs. They are bound by alcohol. And they think it makes me feel better. They think it, makes it, it takes the edge off a little bit. Well, let me tell you, I have something that could take the edge off a whole lot more if you would listen, if you would find freedom. 
But we say, why? Why do we have to, why do we have to find freedom? This is, this is just affecting me. It's not affecting anybody else. Why should I find freedom from it? Because you have a higher calling. Because you were born for greatness. You were born with a purpose. You were born with a plan on your life. And you have a higher calling than to, re than to resist being set free from this. Let's go back. We're going to go back to that same scripture. He says, walk better yet run on the road God called you to travel because there is a road that he has called you to travel. It says, I don't want any of you sitting around on your hands. I don't want any of you strolling off, going down some path that goes nowhere. Take a minute, not too long because, you know, I only have two minutes and 22 seconds left, but just a second to, um, to think about where this path is leading you. Where is it going? Is it going somewhere or is it going nowhere? Is it going nowhere good? And later on, he goes on to say, this is verses 17 through 24. He says, and so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go in sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion, but that's no life for you. You learned Christ. My assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth, precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with the old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and take on an entirely new life, a God-fashioned life renewed from the inside and working its way out. Everything has to go. You see, I don't have to make an assumption from what you guys have been learning. Paul was in prison. He didn't know what they were teaching. I know what he's teaching. I know what these speakers are teaching. I don't have to assume anything because I sit through the same messages that you guys sit. And I know that we teach the love of Christ. And I know what we teach. And whether we find freedom from it is up to us. We no longer have the right to ignorance. You know, used to, in our past life, we, could, we were ignorant to it. We didn't know right from wrong. And there's nothing, like, none of us would judge anybody for that. But take a moment and think, do you know right from wrong yet? Do you know the things that you know are wrong? The things that you need to be set free from, but you're still holding tight to? You still have a grasp on? Well, you see, these next few weeks and these next few speakers are all about freedom. So take some time and be set free. Take some time and let go of it. Walk on the road God called you to travel, and better yet, run. All right. So this week I felt like I was attacked by the devil himself because this week I lost my voice and there's nothing more frustrating to a pastor, like getting ready to preach on the weekend and you don't have a voice. So I, I was attacked by like allergies and congestion and my voice was just in and out all week. And I was, I was like, you know what? Not today, right? Like, not today, Satan. So he's, I'm not going to be silenced, um, and I believe God has something awesome for you guys. Been preparing for this for a while, and uh, yeah, so here we go. So my wife and I, Laura, we've been married for almost 14 years, 
or, or sorry, 14 years, almost 15 years. And she's looking at me like I got it wrong, um, which I did. But um, we haven't always been in a place of freedom. And there's honestly still a lot of things we're still kind of working through as we grow together. But I wanted to share with you guys a story of when we were married for about eight years. Um, our oldest daughter, her name's Mirage, she, ha- she was seven. And we found out Laura was pregnant for the second time. And we were, uh, we were excited. Like, we, we instantly loved this new baby. And as the doctors do, they run various tests, okay? It's just part of pregnancy. They run all kinds of tests. Well, one day they call us up and they say, hey, um, we need you to come back in. We have a, a special ultrasound we need to do. And we're like, okay, no big deal. You know, like, they, they do tests. And so they do the ultrasound. And then they come back and they say, okay, well, this test was inconclusive. We had no idea what they were testing for. And this is finally the point in time where they actually tell us what they're testing for. And they're testing for a certain type of Down syndrome. And if, if our baby had this type of Down syndrome, her chances of survival of birth were very slim. And if she happened to survive the birth, life expectancy at max was five years. So... We were scared. <laughs> um, we, were, we were caught up in that moment there for a minute, and we, we weren't in the best place. We didn't have a church family. Um, we weren't living the best lives possible at that moment, but we, uh, we cried out to God. We kept it to ourselves. We didn't tell anybody. We didn't tell our family. Um, her parents or my parents, like nobody knew. No friends, no family, nobody and that test took about two weeks to get the results. And, you know, Laura and I, we both grew up Christians, but we believed in God. We believed that he could, he could take care of the problem if we just give it to him, and we just needed him to do that. We didn't even realize that we, had, we were removing the doubters and just focusing on our own faith in God. And, you know, uh, Proverbs 18.21, it says, uh, the power of the tongue can speak life or death. So we didn't want the doubters in our world because if they put their doubt into our faith, we were afraid of what might happen for our daughter. So instead, we just stood on our own faith. These types of situations, the enemy wants to try to keep you down. He he wants to beat you while you're down, right? He wants to get that fear inside of you. And you might see something scary, like in our case, we saw this Down syndrome possibility right in front of us, and we're scared but like we know God's bigger, but we're, yeah, we're still scared. And like we see it coming at us and we don't know what to do. And it makes me think of Peter. So it made me think of Peter because Peter, when all the guards were coming up to arrest Jesus, this is Luke chapter 22. Read it. It's an awesome story. Uh, the guards are coming up to, to arrest Jesus. And what does Peter do? I think most of us know the story, but Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts one of the guards' ears off, right? And like I think that's a pretty like normal reaction. Peter was acting in his own understanding. He didn't know what to do. He, he was like, man, I'm going to fight. If there's nothing else I can do, I'm going to fight. And, you know, if in this situation with our daughter, if I thought fighting the doctor would have helped, I would have done it. If, if I thought somehow hitting him, cutting his ear off, whatever, like would have done some good, I would have done it because I wanted to save my baby girl that bad. But we all know it wouldn't have done any good, so obviously we didn't. <laughs> uh, 
But what I, what I find really interesting about the story with Jesus here is after Peter cuts the man's ear off, Jesus instantly reaches out and touches that ear and heals it. Instantly. This is the guy that was coming to arrest Jesus. He was coming to lead him to his crucifixion, to his beating, and to his death. Jesus knew exactly what was coming, and he still healed the man. And just like Jesus healed this man's ear, Jesus healed our daughter. We got that test result back two weeks later, and we found out she was fine. And I truly believe... We truly believe that because we fought this battle in the spiritual and not in the physical, that our baby girl is not only fine, she was born, she's going to be seven in November, so that five-year mark, like, we're past that, not even worried about that. From this experience, along with friends and uh, family and our oldest daughter harassing us to go to church, like, we have found our church family, we've actually been able to build a better relationship with Jesus, which has brought us to a place of freedom. So my question to you is, do you feel like a piece of you is missing? Do you feel like you're not complete or not whole because of the things you've done or things you've been through? I want to tell you that Jesus is here to put you back together. He's here to reattach that which life has removed from you due to the downfalls of your life. Jesus is here to lead you to freedom. Your freedom is waiting. Your freedom is in Jesus. If you lay down your life to him, all you have to do is cry out to the living God, and you will be set free. Who the Son sets free is free indeed. So I wanted to come up here and just bring my daughter up on stage and we just look at her for seven minutes and just comment on how cute she is because she's one of the cutest human beings in the world, but I guess I can't do that. Um, I'm kind of upset about it, but I'm actually going to preach what God has put on my heart, which is freedom from guilt. So I'm newly married. Pray for me. (laughs) I'm serious. So I'm newly married, and I say pray for me because my husband has not found out yet, he's getting there, that I am always right. (laughs) I know. (laughs) My husband is back in the production booth. I'm so sorry, EJ. Uh, So I think this is why the first year of marriage is the hardest. I really do, because the husband just not has, like, he hasn't put it together yet that the wife is always right. So they're going back and forth at each other. Men, you know what I'm talking about. There was a point early on that you were like, you know what? She really is right most of the time. And so that's why the first year of marriage is the hardest, I'm pretty sure. But I love my husband. We're celebrating our one-year anniversary next weekend. And so, yeah. Um, We're going to Kansas City, going to spend the night there and go to Hillsong Church because they opened a campus up there. So we're going to go attend service there. But what I love most about my husband is that he loves me for who I am always. Every time I mess up, he's never made me feel guilty or ashamed. Um, He's never made me feel judged. And I love that about him. And we can't say that probably for the most of the people in our lives that they've never made us feel judged. In fact, Christians have a literal reputation of being judgmental. Now, I'm not saying YPC has this because we are perfect, right? 
No, we're not perfect. We are not perfect. But whether we like it or not, it is a perspective in our culture that Christians are judgmental. And I want to look at a story in the Bible really quick that talks about casting judgment, and it's in John chapter 8. So what's happening right now is Jesus is at Mount Olives, and he's teaching, and these swarms of people are coming to him. So I'm going to pick up in verse 3. The religion scholars and Pharisees led in a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. They stood her in plain sight of everyone and said, Teacher, this woman was caught red-handed in the act of adultery. Moses in the law gives orders to stone such persons. What do you say? They were trying to trap into saying something incriminating. Jesus bent down and wrote, in the, wrote with his finger in the dirt. They kept Adam, badgering him. He straightened up and said, The sinless one among you go first. Throw the stone. Bending down again, he wrote some more in the dirt. Hearing that, they walked away one after one, beginning with the oldest. The woman was left alone. Jesus stood up and spoke to her. Woman, where are they? Does no one condemn you? No one, master. Neither do I, said Jesus. Go on your way. From now on, don't sin. And when I look at this story, we can be three different people or three kind of different perspectives in this story. We can be one, the person that's casting a stone at someone without even realizing our past, our mistakes, our things that we've been through. We could be two, the person that is in the most broken moment of their life. They're literally thrown out in public in the act of adultery, and they are hopeless. They are broken. Maybe we feel like that one. Or we can be this third perspective, which is actually just both. And what I mean by that is, I have experience with this because we are in the most broken moments of our life, but we're sitting there holding the stone at ourselves. We're sitting there putting this guilt and shame on ourselves. See, I have experience with this because I talked about my daughter. I talked about my husband. Well, just get it out there. I was 16 weeks pregnant when I got married. And so... Me and my husband served in the youth group, and we were youth leaders, and it just took one moment of us just having a lack of self-control and boundaries. We loved Jesus. We had a relationship with Jesus. It just took one moment of lack of self-control and boundaries, and then Willow was here. And so Willow's pretty great, but I remember when I first found out I was pregnant, I remember in my room and just crying. I was just crying. I didn't want to get out of bed. I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to be around anybody. I remember telling EJ, can we just move away and just go somewhere and just leave this place? I don't want to be here. I was afraid of what my leaders would say. I was afraid of what my friends would say. I was afraid of what my church would say. But it was totally the opposite. My church family held me, and they walked through me. Like, they walked with me through this season. They walked through me through this battle, and they helped me realize that... I was the one throwing the stone at myself. They were not making me feel guilty or ashamed. I was doing it to myself. And you know, you might feel like that when you mess up. I know that sometimes we can be our own worst critic, right? We run the thoughts of you're worthless, you're a failure. That was what the enemy was telling me, that I would never be on a stage. I said, I told Rachel just the other day, I don't want to preach ever. And <laughs> here I am. And this was so hard for me because I let the enemy convince me that I was useless, that I was a failure, that I messed up. I was in a leadership position and I messed up, but now I praise God. I praise God that I messed up because you know what that brought? An opportunity to grow an opportunity to walk in freedom. Now it's given me a platform to speak to women that have, 
are experiencing unplanned pregnancies. I get what it feels like when you have an unplanned pregnancy and the thoughts that can go through your mind. And now I have the opportunity to speak to those women, to speak life into those women. I have an opportunity to speak to teenagers because I understand the importance of purity more than I did when I was a virgin. And I can talk to them about it. I can give them advice. I can tell them how I messed up. So I say, let's embrace our failures. Let's embrace the times that we feel like we messed up. Because I, now I'm praising God because I want everything that I do wrong to be surfaced. I want every heart issue to come to the surface. I want everything that I'm not good at to come to the surface. And you know what I want to do? I want to own it, first off. And I want to walk through it. And I want to see others watch me walk through it. And I'll end with this really fast. Um, now I make jokes about it, and it's not because it's not a serious thing, but it has no power over me. Just the other day, really fast, um, Taliana was like, Krista, she's talking to Bailey, because me and Bailey were both pregnant at the same time, and she said, Bailey, did anybody guess that you were pregnant before you told anybody? And Taylee actually was guessing. She's whole prophecy thing is weird. Um, and I was like, Taylee, Nobody could guess that I was pregnant. Everybody just assumed that I was being a good girl. And then she was like, oh, yeah. It's like an awkward, like, oh. And so I just make jokes about it now. But OK, let's go. <laughs> oh, gosh. Guys, this is scary. Like, who signed, who signed me up for this? OK. All right. So we're just going to start off here uh, with a name of God, which is Jehovah Shema, I think is what it says. And that is the Lord is with you. And I'm just saying this because it's actually just what I need right now. <laughs> the Lord's with me. Okay. So I'm going to go through this. Um, but before we actually get into this, I'm going to let you know that God loves you. Um, even in the days you messed up, it says in Romans 5, 8, while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. So no matter what you did, God loves you. He wants to know you. He wants to talk to you. So just open your hearts, um, lean in. Where I got most of this stuff was actually from my Freedom Life group that I was in. Uh, we're still doing it, but like, like just from what I've gone through so far, like it's, it's been real good. So I want you guys, we're going to be launching these Freedom Life groups soon. Like get in them. Like it is real good. Just get in them. So uh, we're going to start off with Colossians 1.21. It says, once far away from God, you were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. So sin separates, and I do not want to be separated from God. I want to live my whole life with him leading the way. The starting point in a relationship with God walking in and walking in freedom is accepting that you were a sinner, but that Christ died for you. His blood was shed and he died on a cross for you. So I strive to live a sin-free life, but the devil is the king of this world. So it, it's a hard thing to do. Like he is in, like in this world, he is in control and we like, but not in front of us because we have Jesus. So it is possible, but I'm going to let you know, sin doesn't begin with the act, but it actually begins in our minds. So Satan talked to Eve before they ate the fruit, and then she ate it. Um, so the sin, then she drug Adam into it because sin doesn't want to sin alone. But the first part where she messed up is she, she talked to the devil. 
Like we don't even play in that playground. Like do not, don't start, don't talk to the devil because he will drag you down. He will cause you to uh, fall short. So God is not waiting in anticipation for us to fall short. God is love. In 1 John 4, it says, love covers a multitude of sins. Like weightlifters need a spotter to help encourage, challenge, and assist them when the burden is heavy. We need partnership in our faith journey. We need to have somebody that can come and hold us up and hold us to accountability. Transformation can take place when we know what the word of God says about our lives. Psalms 37, 23 says, when the godly stumble, they will not fall because God holds them by the hand. So don't just read the Bible, but let the Bible read you. <laughs> our bodies have appetites, right? Like they can be both good and bad. Uh, you know, come on, like some donuts. You ever just like get some donuts and y'all appetite? Like, oh boy, let me tell you. Okay. Um, <laughs> He likes blueberry donuts, all right? He's a dad now, so it's allowed. Oh, wait, okay. Um, gosh, all right. The Bible says to be careful of any sin that leads to our flesh getting what it wants. Often people want to know how far they can sin, but still get the blessings of God. The snare with sin, though, is that it never satisfies. Carnal desires cause us to need satisfaction. And though we may satisfy them in the moment, the craving soon returns and brings with it increased intensity. The cycle will repeat itself time and again until we break it by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the only way that it can be broken. And when you sin, you can have a ripple effect. And so a ripple effect, you ask yourself before you sin, how will this affect those around me? Rehearse daily the consequences of sin and how they would affect our friends and family. Would your actions cause someone to stumble or fall short or be offended? So the question is, if I am saved, why, why do I struggle with sin? So we have three, we have the body, the soul, and the spirit. So our spirit, which now has God in us, uh, is it, it's in control of our soul and body. But we may struggle because our spirit not, might not be in the lead. What we give the most attention to will become the most influential. The only way our spirit can take control is if we feed it more than we feed our soul and body. So the world around us constantly feeds us, feeds our work, but it feeds our body and it feeds our soul. So what are you doing to, your, to feed your spirit? So, Bad Guy by Billie Eilish, it's a good song, but is that actually what you need to be doing to fill, fill your spirit or should you be like listening to worship? Whew. Okay, so are you reading the Bible or are you reading about how we're gonna go storm Area 51? You guys heard about that? Oh my gosh, like, like you, could be, you could be like, oh, what are they gonna, but like, are, you feeding your, are you feeding your body? Are you feeding your spirit? John Maxwell came up with the ratio of 80 to 20 ratio. And it talks about 80% of everything we do needs to be spiritual. And then the 20% is where we can splurge and listen to Old Town Road on repeat. So <laughs> it's right there. 80% though, should be with the spirit. So let the spirit, in be, in, uh, let the spirit be in control um, and you will walk in the promises of God and nothing can beat that. Once you have a good relationship with God, it's like, it's smooth selling. Nothing can go wrong. So pray daily. There are three steps um, how to transform your heart. 
the first thing you need to do is you need to invite the Spirit to show you what you need to change. You can't change what you can't see. Invite the Spirit to change you. Do you actually want to be set free? Allow the Spirit to, be, uh, to put a pure heart in you. And then the third thing is invite the Spirit to be filled in you. Ephesians 5.18 says, do not drink wine, which leads to sinfulness. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. It's hard to remove the things without replacing it. That's why Paul said, instead of getting filled with alcohol, get filled with the Spirit. Because our people have good intentions on quitting, but quitting without the Holy Spirit is easier said than done. I brought my Bible so that you guys know I'm more spiritual than everyone else, but really I have the scriptures on my phone. So that's my one joke. Buckle up, all right? Freedom is not a solo activity. This is what I mean. Romans 12:4 says, just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. This is an idea that cuts against the grain of our entire Western culture. We belong to each other. From birth, we hear stories about lone wolves and cowboys riding off into the sunset. I'm going to be honest with you. If you like John Wayne, that's fine, cool. But there's nothing scriptural about riding off into the sunset alone. We belong to each other. We belong to each other. A friend of mine told me a story about her friend, and this story, and if you think like my friend's friend, I still love you. You're still welcome here. We're just trying to walk you through it. But this story, it bummed me out because it's an attitude I see all throughout Oklahoma, all throughout the Bible Belt. And she was talking about, hey, do you love Jesus? And he said, yeah, I love Jesus, but I don't really need church. I just do this Jesus thing on my own. And my friend said, well, man, when I've had hard times, I've had my church family to help me. And he proudly, at least that's the impression I got, I wasn't there, proudly said, yeah, well, when I've walked through things, I've had to do it all on my own. And we think that is a badge of honor. That is no badge of honor. We belong to each other. We're parts of the body. There's nothing honorable about my finger being separated from the rest of my body. There's nothing honorable about that. There's nothing romantic about when I had my gallbladder removed, okay? That was gross, and I felt terrible, okay? Even though it had to go, it was painful. Even though it had to go, it was painful. I don't want to pay anyone Apple cash. I don't have time for that. 1 John 1, 7. Nobody asked me for money. My phone's just weird. First John 1, 7 says, But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If you don't have fellowship with other believers... Are you walking in the light? Because fellowship with other believers is a natural outpouring of walking into the, in the light. 
If your instinct is to come in here and get out as soon as you can, get out before anybody gets in your business, get out before anybody talks to you, get out before anybody tries to tell you how to spend your money, get out before anybody tries to talk about how you're living your life, get out before anybody asks me too many questions, quit running away from the light. The natural outpouring of the light is fellowship with each other. It is not optional. Fellowship with each other is not a perk of Christianity. It is Christianity. It's not a feature. It's not a bonus thing that you pay 10 or more dollars for. It's part of the thing. It's part of the thing. It's all throughout scripture. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. Iron sharpens iron. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. This is not optional. It's not. And we will not find freedom truly and deeply without other people. Well, Rachel, can I just like me and Jesus find freedom? Yes, sure. Your prayers make things happen. But in James 5.16, this part I'm actually going to read out of my Bible. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for for one another so you may be healed. The intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. We love that the intense prayer of the righteous is very powerful. We do not love confess your sins one to another. But those are right by each other. Don't pick one and ignore the other. Your solo Christianity is not, like, not only does it mess with your family because it makes your Christianity stop with you, but it also messes with your faith because we were always designed to be in faith with others. The moment that we say, I'm going to follow Jesus, We have to also in our hearts, and yes, it is a process, and yes, we have grace for you in that process. I realize people have hurt you. I realize things have happened, but the moment we say yes to Jesus, we are deciding to stop building walls around our heart and instead build tables where we serve alongside others, different parts of the body with different gifts and different strengths. And we stop saying, you don't get to tell me what to do. There is a cultural idea of freedom that says, freedom means I get to do what I want to do. I spend my money how I want to spend it. I do it. I'm not hurting anyone. It's freedom. I'm free to do whatever I want. But that's not Christianity's freedom. It's a freedom that is in service to a king as part of a body, members of a family. And so if you want some freedom in your life, Confess your sins to one another and watch what the prayer of the righteous person does. Come on, can we give it up for all of our communicators? Weren't they incredible? Awesome. Hey, we want to do this. We want to take a moment. And uh, as much fun and, and energy this was, we do recognize that there are people in the room that are needing freedom and are needing a touch from heaven today. And, uh, and so we're going to do this with every head bowed, every eye closed. Um, if you don't even know who Jesus is, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, and, and you just heard seven uh, or five incredible messages, 
and, and you just feel this, this longing, this tugging inside of you, and, and, and you don't even, really can't even explain the feeling, then just where you are, just raise your hand. We just want to pray with you. If there's anybody in the room, you want a relationship with Jesus? Anybody like that at all? All right, then this is what we're going to do. I see your hand. I see your hand. Anybody else? All right, we're going we're gonna to repeat this together. Um, because again, we are one body. And so whether it's an entire room of people that are entering into a relationship with Jesus or one, we do it together as family. So repeat after me, everybody in the room. Say, God, we come to you now. And we ask for forgiveness from our past, our mistakes. And Lord, today we're choosing to follow you. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name. And Father, right now we just pray over the person that is decided to make the decision. And Father, I pray over every person in this room who's, who's needing a touch from heaven, who's needing freedom from whatever is going on in their life. God, and as, as it was said, through multiple of these communicators, John 8, 36, whom the Son sets free is free. So Father, whatever it may be, whatever, whatever struggle, whatever obstacle they may be dealing with, God, we give it to you right now. Lord, we know that your presence brings freedom, it brings healing, it brings hope, it brings strength, it brings grace, it brings love. God, for the people who feel like they're alone, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them now. God, for the people who are feeling empty, who are burdened with guilt, Lord, overwhelm them with your grace and your mercy. Father, I pray that you would fill us, make us new. God, transform us. Lord, we're choosing today. Father, I pray that we could leave this place and understand the freedom that we have through the presence of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to a YPC podcast. Visit our website at ypcprior.com to hear more.